stand with us and let us praise the Lord together. Psalm 36 talks about 
why we should praise and glorify God, it says this in verse 5. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. We not only praise God for what he has done for us, but we praise him for who he is. And that is why we come together to glorify him this morning. And we're very glad that you all are here to do that with us this morning. We're thankful for each and every one of you. If you would, please take a moment to take out your worship folder. In this folder, you'll find all sorts of information about things that are going on in the church. We'd also ask you to just take out the little card that's inside, this uh, checking card. And it's a big blessing to us if you would fill this out, or you can do it on your phone through our church app. There's a place on the back where you can also put any prayer requests or praises. We are a praying church, and we love to pray alongside you and with you, and praise God with you too. And so we'd encourage you to fill that out for us real quick. And at the end of the service, you can drop that little piece of paper in either of the white tables at the entrance. Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, whether it's your first time or your second time, and you still feel new here, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. We're really glad that you're here. And we'd encourage you at the end of the service, if you haven't already, to stop by our welcome desk just outside these double doors. And there you can find more information about our church, and we'd also have a gift we'd like to give to you. Well, it's um, the Halloween season, as you all know. Now, a lot of people are putting out decorations in their lawn. There's this person in my neighborhood who's got this giant LED show, and I really feel bad for their neighbors because at nighttime it just like lights up their whole the neighbor's house in the neighborhood. Um, but it's the season; everyone's getting uh, their costumes and stuff. And you know, pretty soon people are going to come knocking on your door, and this is a great opportunity for some outreach. And so we'd encourage you at the end of the service, uh, at either of uh, the main entrances, you'll see a table. And at that table, you'll find a bunch of gospel tracts of different types that you could hand out if you hand out candy. And so what an easy way to outreach to your neighborhood and minister to people. Um, perhaps you might get into some conversations with your neighbors that you know. Um, otherwise, it's just a really simple way of just slipping in a gospel tract with the candy. So I really encourage you to do this. This is low-hanging fruit and a really neat and sweet opportunity. Before we continue singing, would you please bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? And Father, we are so thankful this morning for your steadfast love that extends to the heavens. We're thankful for your faithfulness that promises that that steadfast love will never fail, that it continues to the end, that the work that you have started in us, you will bring to completion, that we are in your hand and that nothing and no one can snatch us from it. That is what makes your steadfast love precious, Lord. We take refuge in your love under the shadow of your wings. And not only that, but we get to feast and we are satisfied and overjoyed in the blessings of having a relationship with you. You give us water to drink, living water. And Father, I pray this morning that our hearts would um, match what our lips are doing. That we wouldn't just worship you externally, but internally as well. That our hearts would be backing up what we are saying with our mouths. So, Father, please be glorified this morning 
as we continue to worship you. Amen. If you would, please stand as I turn my page and let us keep worshiping God.
was his cry. Now in heaven lifted high, hallelujah, what a Savior when he comes. with you this morning in any morning every morning huh that's praise god praise god you uh you received an email yesterday about uh helping some churches in southwest florida with the devastation of hurricane ian and uh, let me just highlight a couple things out of that uh real quick here hurricane ian recently rendered the meeting places of both sanibel community church and another partner church in the area redeemer church fort myers uninhabitable the storm also destroyed the homes of pastoral staff members of Sanibel Community Church. Now, Faith Bible Church in Naples is coming alongside these churches and staff members to help them find places to live and places to worship. And what we're doing, we're conducting an exit offering today to help with Faith Bible's relief effort. So as God leads, uh, consider how you might be a blessing to those brothers and sisters. Uh, in Christ down in Southwest Florida. Uh, you can give by uh, placing your, your gift in the boxes at both exits, uh, entrances, uh, or uh, you can give online. That uh, website is, is on that email. So um, be generous to Southwest Florida. 
We're just uh, saying about the man of sorrows. The man of sorrows is referenced in Isaiah 53. And Newcastle, would you uh, pray some Isaiah 53 with me and, and some more? Uh, let's pray. Lord, you were despised and rejected by men. You were a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, you were despised and we esteemed you not. Surely you have borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Lord, to that we say hallelujah. What a savior. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And then you, our Lord, laid on your son, our Jesus, the iniquity of us all. To that we say, hallelujah, what a Savior. What a Savior that you would take the penalty for our iniquity, our sin, that you could, would bear it on the cross. It's why we're here at Newcastle right now, to praise your name. It's why we do all we do around here, because you are the what a Savior. It's why we proclaim your great name here and all over central Illinois and really the entire world. So Lord and Savior, please let us not forget what a Savior you are. Let us remember how like sheep we did go astray. But, 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 but then let us remember how because of our straying, you willingly went to the cross to bear our sin. Surely you have borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We say, as we learned so well last week, uh, thanks, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Hallelujah. Which means praise to you. Lord, our brothers and sisters in Southwest Florida are suffering right now. They may have forgotten what a Savior you really are. Use our generosity to help them remember you and their suffering. Use our generosity to help those who continue to go their own way, to see you clearly and turn your way. For you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, help us to help those in suffering to say hallelujah. What a Savior. And Lord, I've been praying for Bethany Community Church this week at our prayer focus. Lord, help their folks sing hallelujah in their hearts as they begin a series in First and Second Samuel today. And we also pray for them to have wisdom as they continue to partner and consider how they might help revitalize the church in Chillicothe. Help them there, please, Lord. And then our go-partners, Gabby and Mateo, Mateo uh, with YWAM in San Francisco. Uh, Lord, we thank you that Mateo's schooling is going well, and he's already putting into practice a lot of what he's hearing. Thank you for their pizza nights, that they're going well, and helping them create a closer community, their kids and their families. Just thinking of our folks who visited Gabby and Mateo, and, uh, and, and I know even more, they're, uh, they're seeing the work that's being done. And thank you that has recently had 16 kids in a youth group that meets at their home. And uh, as that can be filled up, they are joyfully starting to think and praying as we are this morning about a bigger place to meet. Lord, please, please provide their needs for their, those needs there. And, and then we pray for Gabby and Mateo's been struggling with some health needs. Heal them, please, Lord, and continue to provide for their medical expenses as well. And then, Lord, as Gabby and Mateo acknowledge, ministry is amazing. And they also acknowledge it's hard. Maybe the hardest it's ever been. And we pray for energy and grace to sustain them in this challenging season. Oh, Lord, help them to help those straying sheep in San Francisco that they might come to know you and proclaim like we have this morning. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So now, Father, open our hearts to your word. 
and use Pastor Scott as your instrument to do just that. And Lord, help us to learn more about our Savior, a man of sorrows, who carried our sorrows. And to that we say, hallelujah. What a Savior you are. And we'll pray in the name of our great Savior, Jesus. Amen. You know how when you're driving your car, you're always kind of having to make micro-adjustments as you're steering? If you make too big of an adjustment one way or the other, you'll end up in the other lane or in a ditch. The Christian life is that way. We're always kind of having to make micro-adjustments as we balance through what Scripture has to say. And as we've been going through Ephesians, particularly chapter 4 and on, we have a lot of emphasis on commands and what we need to do in obedience to Christ. But we have to remember that we're not doing those things to earn salvation. We're doing those things because we have been saved. And the balance that we always have to be making micro-adjustments in is that we are responsible to obey the commands we see in Scripture, but we are so utterly dependent upon God's help to do so. And so this new song that we just taught you last week that we're about to sing again helps us express those micro-adjustments and that that scriptural balance. So would you please stand as we sing, O Great God.
quite the uh, it's quite the prayer to pray as we go into our time and meditation on God's scripture here this morning. You know, a song that ends by praying, "God glorify Your name through me." That's a that's a pretty big request, isn't it? That's a that's a God sized thing. Notice that it's all about making much of His name and not. What is our natural temptation, which is to make a name of ourselves? So the question is, how do we do that? Where do we start? I believe actually today's passage has something to offer to that very question. So I'd encourage you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a copy of God's Word this morning, have no fear. We have two of our brightest and wittiest men in the church who are here to uh, pass those out to you. So just raise your hand there and they'll make sure that you get a copy of that so you can follow along with us here this morning. We've been talking for a while here that the second half of this book or this letter to the Ephesians is really focused on a new lifestyle that flows from a new identity that we have in Jesus. Having been adopted into God's family as God's child, we are called in chapter 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. In chapter 4, verse 17, we are called to not walk in our old nature, but rather walk in the new nature that God has set apart for us. Last week, we learned in chapter 5, verse 2, we are called to walk in love. And then today, as we look at verses 7 through 14, we are seeing that we are called to now walk in the light. So that's where our text brings us to this morning as we look at the lifestyle, what it looks like to live in the light. So if you would, I invite you one more time, if you're able to stand as we read In reverence of God's holy scriptures together from Ephesians chapter 5, we are going to start just for context back in verse 6 to set the tone for our passage this morning. So Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 6, Paul writes, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is our passage for meditation this morning. You can be seated, and let's pray as we entrust our time to the Lord now. So, Father, we come to you now just with uh, humble, open hearts, asking for your word to now teach us, that you would reveal very clearly what your scripture has to say to us, and that, Lord, you would help us to better understand what it is to walk in light as you yourself are light. This is a challenge, this is a struggle for all of us, including myself. 
So I pray that you would begin even now to convict hearts, not for, this, not for the sake of shame, not for the sake of embarrassment, but Lord, for the sake of the glory of your name and for our greater joy. Pray that you would make this clear to us this morning. I pray that you would help me in my own weaknesses to not stand in the way of what you are trying to communicate to our people this morning. So please glorify your name through the teaching of your word, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what we have set before us this morning is a battle of timeless proportions. This battle between the realm of light and the realm of darkness. It's a timeless battle, like many that we know of. Hot versus cold, wet versus dry, coffee versus tea. Coffee wins, by the way. But when it comes to darkness versus light, even kids get the difference and understand the good from the evil, right? If you were to ask a child which of the two between light and darkness, which one is the good and which one is the bad, almost unanimously you would have kids understanding, well, yes, light represents good, darkness represents bad. In fact, ask any kid, it's probably very rare that you're going to find a kid who is afraid of the light, If you were to ask many kids here, they would probably say in some way, at some point in time, they were afraid of the darkness. And yet, human nature loves the darkness. It's what John speaks of in John chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus is talking, and he talks about how people love the darkness Rather than the light. No, we're not just talking about darkness in terms of if we were to shut off the lights in here. Darkness in scripture speaks to ignorance and evil. In comparison to the light of Christ, which is revelation and righteousness. These two things are constantly at play with each other. But because of sin, people are content to live in ignorance and disobedience to God. But praise be to God that that's not the end of the story, is it? Sent Jesus into this darkened world as the light to call men and women out of darkness into that marvelous light. And such has been much of our focus in Ephesians so far. We are people who have been saved out of darkness, who have been transferred out of the realm of death and ignorance and evil and been brought into the light by Christ. And so Paul wants to help us see this morning that having been brought out of darkness, you are now called to reflect the light of Christ. In this passage, Paul continues his line of argumentation from last week. As those who have been made new, you are now expected to live different from the ways of this world. Why? Because it is inconsistent with your new creation identity. Chapter 5, verse 1, you are now called a beloved child of God who is called to be a copycat, an imitator of your heavenly Father. And now as we look at the verses before us this morning, we see that we are also considered children of light who are called to now reflect the glory of our beloved Savior. So what does that even mean? What does that even look like? 
Well, first of all, Paul says that we reflect the light of Christ by first walking in the light. By walking in the light. If we are going to be a people of the light, we must learn what it is to walk in the light. And there's several different ways that Paul explains that here in these verses, starting in verses 7 and 8, where we see that it involves embracing and really living out your new identity, what we've talked about so far. Paul says in verses 7 and 8 that walking in the light begins by recognizing and remembering who God has made you to be as a Christian. Knowing that those who are in darkness practice wickedness. They are sons of disobedience. They are destined for God's wrath. Paul now gives the only reasonable response in verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with them. Why? Because you are incompatible with them. We live in a world that's really big on compatibility scores, right? Compatibility score here, 0%. 0%. You have nothing in common. How does Paul explain this in verse 8? For at one time, you were darkness. Seen that throughout the study of Ephesians, right? If you were to go back to chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, you would learn that it's not just that you were darkness, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You had no life or light whatsoever. But you are no longer the same because of Jesus. You are now a child of light. He has rescued you, but even more importantly, He has given you a brand new identity that stands opposed to darkness. Look at how Paul lays this out in verse 8. Notice the, the very distinct language he uses here. There's no mistaking what he's doing here. He says that you were darkness. Notice that he does not say you were in darkness. In other words, this is where we have to be honest. You were not a victim of the system, but a contributor to its decay. As we sang just a few moments ago, I was blinded by my sin. Not by the sin of the world. I was blinded by my sin. But now, dear Christian, you are considered, according to what Paul says here in verse 8, light in the Lord. Unlike darkness, light has a qualifier. The light in us comes because of our union with Jesus. It's nothing of ourselves. It's all because of the light that is in Christ that we are now united to. As stated at the beginning, we are called to reflect the light of Christ. Just as the moon has no source of light itself, but rather reflects the glory and the light and the beauty of the sun upon itself. That is now what you are called to in Christ Jesus. I appreciate the way that James Montgomery Boyce says this. He says, this makes all the difference. Because if it's only a question of seeking the light or living in the light, then Christianity is no different from any other religion or philosophy. And there is no more hope from any of them either. No, it is fundamentally different at its core. It is a transfer from one realm to the other. It's what Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, where he says, We give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in what? Lights. 
because he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. No, this is not just about trying to be better, to try to walk in the light, to reflect it on our own. No, this is because God has now transferred us from one kingdom to the other. And now we are called to reflect that. And because of this great rescue plan that he lays out for you right here, the question is, why would you ever want to go back? Why would you ever want to go back? Why return to that which enslaved you and was set to destroy you? Makes me think of a situation from a few years ago when the world was hanging in the balance as it was really holding its breath in June and July of 2018 when 12 young boys and their soccer coach were trapped in a cave in northern Thailand. They were on a little excursion and the rain and the monsoon season poured down rain tremendously over the course of, of time and then before they knew it, the cave that they had gone in to explore together was flooded and they had no way out. They were missing. And it was only after over a week, June 23rd, they go missing and then it was on July 2nd, British divers were able to locate this team over a week later, trapped with no way out. Over the following week, a team of more than 10,000 people, 100 divers, representatives from nearly 100 governments, 900 police, 2,000 soldiers, and hundreds of rescue workers devised a complex plan and strategy to be able to rescue these boys from this cave, which included having to strap them onto a, a cable line to get them under all these different waterways in order to get them out several miles away to the entrance of the cave. In fact, one Royal Thai Navy SEAL diver lost his life in the rescue efforts as they were trying to figure out this complex plan. But after more than two weeks, one by one, all the boys and their coach were eventually rescued. It was by far the most complex rescue plan outside of Christ that this world may have ever seen. But imagine for a moment... In the aftermath of that, as all the boys are standing huddled around the, the entrance to that cave after everything that they had just experienced together, after not seeing the light of day for over two weeks, imagine for a moment several of those boys deciding to turn back and to go back into the cave. Realizing, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad in the darkness. Maybe, uh, maybe really the darkness had something to offer us after all. Attempting to return once again to the darkness that was their life for over two weeks. In our minds, such a thought would be unfathomable, wouldn't it? It would be ridiculous, and in many ways it would be irreverent and disrespectful to the ones who have given their lives for the last several weeks trying to rescue them, right? Such is the point that Paul is trying to make here in these verses with us as well. To form a close partnership with darkness makes no logical sense. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Christian, you are not a child of disobedience destined for wrath. No, you are a child of light made to reflect the glory of your Savior. 
And as a child of the light, you are called to live a life now that gives clear testimony to your new identity by producing life-giving fruit. And in case there is any question about what this looks like to walk as a child of the light, Paul answers that for us in verse 9, where he says, The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Fruit is one of the Bible's favorite ways to describe uh, or identify lifestyles, right? After all, to walk in Scripture is to denote a, a lifestyle. So ask yourself this morning, kids, how is it that you would know that you have found an apple tree? How would you know you found an apple tree? You find apples on it, right? What about, talked about peach trees the last time I was up here. How would you know you found a peach tree? Because it has peaches on it, right? Now here's the question for you. How would you identify a child of the light? Paul says here, by its fruit, which is all that's good, all that is right, and all that is true. In fact, the actual words that are used here are goodness, righteousness, and truth. They ironically stand in contrast to the unfruitful works of wickedness described from last week, which are immorality, impurity, and greed. So what are these words and what do they mean and how do they identify the children of the light? Well, to be good or to speak of goodness speaks of moral or beneficial good, especially towards other people. It is especially kindness expressed. When you think about the fruit of the Spirit, you notice that in the fruit of the Spirit, you have kindness and goodness right next to each other. And you ask yourself, well, what's the difference between kindness and goodness? Because they kind of sound like the same thing. Well, kindness is the attitude. Goodness is the expression of kindness. You know somebody is kind by their goodness that is expressed towards other people. It takes a posture of generosity towards those that they are around. What about to be right or all that is right or righteousness? It speaks of walking upon the, the right path and not deviating or straying off course. That which is right or righteous is that which is consistent with God and his good character. Again, our words and our actions reflect the one that we serve. And all that is true or truth speaks of walking in integrity and truthfulness rather than falsehood and deception. There is, there is integrity, there is reliability and honesty that flow from a heart that is singularly devoted to the Lord. It's the reason that all of these are considered life-giving. They are considered life-giving to you, but they are especially considered life-giving towards other people that you are around, right? You are considered by people to be a life-giving person because of the light that lives within you. And so we ask ourselves, how are such things possible? How in the world do we even produce such fruit? Well, it comes not from ourselves, but from the one in whom we have light, right? Just as Tyson was talking a little bit ago, it's this dependency that we have upon the one that we serve. It comes from abiding. It comes from abiding, remaining in Christ. That's what John 15, chapter, chapter 15, verses 4 and 5 talks about. Jesus, before he passed away, he said, abide in me, right? Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You can do nothing. And so I ask you this morning, Christian, what is your life producing? Is there a lack of life-giving fruit? 
If so, could it be because you are not abiding in the source of light? Perhaps you are allowing the influences of darkness to have more effect on your life than the graces that have been offered to you in Christ. Because if you are a child of God, it is a call for you to stop playing games with the darkness. You have no partnership with it anymore. Instead, abide with Jesus through his word. Abide with him through prayer. Abide with him by fellowshipping with your fellow brothers and sisters who are also now in the kingdom of lights. And as you do, you will increasingly learn what it looks like to please Jesus. After all, verse 10 speaks very clearly that the child of light now exists to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That word discern there, it's a special word. It's a word to, to test or to, to, uh, to scrutinize something in order to prove it. The idea in mind is approval. We are to approve the things which uh, exist to please the Lord, right? The Lord who being Christ here. It's a big deal considering your former way of life. Who did you exist to please? Yourself. Yourself. Deeds of darkness, as we saw last week, are all about self-love. But such is no longer the case for the beloved child of God. Life is now marked by a constant pursuit of that which will please the Lord as a servant desiring to please his good and worthy master. How do we do that? By always testing it against the divine standard. God's word is a light that exposes what is pleasing and what is not pleasing to the Lord all at the same time. And so what impact does this have on our lives? If, if understood properly, you reflect the, the light of Christ by walking in the truth. But then you allow that light to shine forth and shine uh, through your life for the good of yourself and the good of others. And then Paul calls us in the second half of our passage to reflect the light of Christ by then letting your light shine. Right? So he talks here, first of all, about what it is to walk in the light, but now letting your light shine for the good of others, which begins in verse 11 with keeping your conduct pure. After all, nothing will cover up your light faster than association with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, right? The command at the start of this verse is to have no part in the works of darkness, same idea expressed in verse 7, and that word there, to have no part, to have no partnership with there, is a variation of a favorite word that we use in Christian circles, that word koinonia, which we know by this point hopefully means fellowship, a shared interest in something. In fact, the word here means to have a joint or a shared connection to something. So Paul is making it very clear, you want your light to shine then you cannot associate with these deeds of darkness. First of all, notice that they are, in verse 9, unfruitful. Or sorry, in verse 11, they are unfruitful in comparison to that in verse 9, which is fruitful. They produce nothing helpful and are a far cry from life-giving, both to yourself and to other people. But also, what sins is he bearing down on here? We know from the context, it's particularly these, these sexual sins, sins of immorality, impurity, and covetousness. 
These things are are not fitting. They are not fruitful. And they put self-gratification on display rather than gratification in God. Satisfaction in God. Church, you, you must understand this. You must keep your conduct pure. But remember, purity goes far beyond the uh, sexual abstinence in its various contexts as we learned last week, right? Purity is a matter of the heart. Purity is a matter of worship. Purity is all about treasuring Jesus Christ more than the things of this world, than anything this world can offer you. Which is why Paul links it to covetousness and a lack of gratitude in verses 3 and 4. When you're not thankful, when you're not grateful for what God has given to you, then you will seek that gratification somewhere else. And so be honest with yourself this morning. Where are you playing with the darkness in your life? What do you need to confess and to bring into the light today? We're going to talk more about what that means and what that looks like here soon. But for now, I want you to continue to see why Paul is driving home this point. Why this is so important. Because if we are not to take part in the unfruitful works of darkness, what then are we expected to do? Or called in verse 11, the second half there, to bring sin into the light. We are called to expose these deeds and bring sin out of darkness into the light. Your relationship with the darkness, church, has fundamentally changed. It's fundamentally changed. The word Paul uses here is to expose, often translated to to convict or to reprove or to rebuke. Overall, it carries at its core this idea of something that is shown to be wrong. Shown to be wrong in the same way that we have x-rays, right? You have an x-ray, if something's not looking right, well, you take it and you get this uh, special light photograph of it so that it exposes what is not correct. And then, uh, to make it even clearer through you, they throw it on that nice light board, right? So that you can actually see through and you can see, hey, this is the issue. This is what's wrong. This is what is not aligned the way that it is supposed to be. And so Paul takes us a step further. He says, you are not simply called to stay away from darkness, but rather you are now called as a Christian to help expose the darkness. Part of what it means to let your light shine is to help others now walk in the light. But whose deeds are we called to expose? Are we called to expose the deeds of unbelievers? Are we called to expose the deeds of of Christians that are Struggling in sin and in the darkness. Spent a good time this week wrestling with this verse and its context. And the reality is that both options are viable here. And both could be proven elsewhere in scripture. And perhaps lean towards the position here of, of, a, of a Christian who is struggling in sin. Maybe wrestling with the deeds of darkness. But I want to show you how this still has a direct impact on the unbelieving world. So think about this first as we think about exposing darkness in Christians, right? Paul has been writing since the middle of chapter 4 about Christians walking consistent with their new nature. No longer walking in the old ways, but now walking in the new ways. Ask yourself this question. Why is he driving home this point time and time and time and time and time again? Well, perhaps it's because there's a struggle going on. 
I believe that this, what is happening here in verse 11, is Paul's way of saying, you have a part to play in exposing the darkness and those who are struggling to walk in this new nature. To help those who are struggling with sin and seeking to keep it hidden. After all, that's what they're trying to do according to verse 12, right? They're trying to keep their deeds of darkness in secret. Well, the unbelieving world doesn't necessarily try to do that, but Christians certainly do, right? He says to, to keep such sins in the dark is, is shameful to the name of Christ. It is shameful. But verse 13, it is God's grace to have them brought into the light so that they can be helped and to be restored and to be made new the way that God has designed them to be. So how do we do that? We do so, first of all, with right motivations. We do so with right motivations. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says the aim of our instruction is what? Love. We do these things out of love for this individual, not out of hate, not out of spite, not out of shame. We do so out of love. We do so not just with the right motive, but we do so with the right attitude. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 tells us that when we are helping others in their sin, we are to do so with a spirit of what? Gentleness. Gentleness. We are compassionate at living out the law of Christ to, to love these people, to help them carry their burdens together. And we do this not just with the right motive and not just with the right attitude, but we do so with the right goal in mind, the goal of restoring them. In fact, that's what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 18. He says, you are to go and so that you are to restore your brother and sister in Christ. Bringing sin into the light is not about bringing shame on the struggling brother or sister, it's about helping them find ultimate freedom and satisfaction in Christ. And that's so important because of the impact that this has on the unbelieving world, right? Think about this for a moment. As we think about exposing darkness, not just in the church, but in the world. How strong is the testimony of the church in the world when the church looks no different than the world? Think about that for a moment. How strong is the testimony of the church in the world when the church looks no different than the world? This is why protecting the holiness of the church is so important. It's not about establishing some sort of moral superiority over other people. It's about preserving and enhancing our witness to the unbelieving world. After all, what kind of impact do you think goodness, righteousness, and truth will have on this world? Well, if done correctly, it will have a purifying and a convicting impact. In fact, that's always been God's design. Jesus speaks of this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, where he says, You are the light of the world. Don't let that light be hidden, but rather, in verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works. And what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When done correctly, when goodness and righteousness and truth shine forth in this world, other people will notice it. You don't expose, though, by shaming your coworker for their lifestyle. You don't expose by trolling the government on social media. 
No, you expose through the preserving and purifying works of light, which when done well, open the doors for effectively sharing the gospel with others, which sets the stage for Paul's final point here this morning, where we let our light shine by proclaiming the gospel's power. This passage ends with a a call or a, a summons, and it is one of hope. Look at what he says in verse 14. At the end of verse 14, he says, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul sets up this here in verse 14 by saying, therefore it says, which is a common way for Paul to say, this is, this is a quotation from uh, an, an Old Testament scripture. Uh, but if you were to look at this and you were asked the question, okay, what Old Testament scripture does this come from? The reality is you're going to be frustrated because there is no direct quotation of these phrases in the Old Testament. Now, if you were to look at Isaiah 26, 19, uh, or Isaiah 61, uh, 60, verses 1 and 2, you would see some similarities in phrases, but not exactly the, the right alignment of these words, but very still faithful to the ideas and the concepts there. So it's very possible that he's referring to that. And we don't know for sure, but it's very possible that this was a a first century Christian hymn based off of these verses from Isaiah, which is exactly what hymns do, don't they? They they take the the truth of Scripture and they put them into a a melody in a way that is as memorable and easy to commit to your, your mind and your affections. After all, we know that they sung hymns in the early church because, well, next week, verse 19, look. You dress one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The point is not to be distracted by this, and we can't be dogmatic on it, but the point of this verse is to provide hope and reinforce the message of the previous verses, namely, the joy of walking in the light. The joy of walking in the light. What does it mean that Christ will shine upon you? Well, Scripture makes it clear that to walk in the light is to have life. Those two words so often go together in the scriptures, light and life. In fact, this was the the essence of his very message, Jesus' message in John chapter 8, verse 12, where he says, I am what? The light of the world. Whoever follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have what? The light of life. The call that Paul is offering here is a gospel call. It is a call to remember the power of Christ and the freedom that comes from walking in the light. So awake, loved one, from your spiritual stupor. Arise from your lethargy and indifference towards sin and come into the light. This is the power of the gospel that we are called to proclaim to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And by extension, it is the gospel call that is the hope for the rest of the world that still lives in darkness. Do you believe that, dear church? Do you truly believe that the light of Christ is the hope for this sin-cursed world? Then I want to encourage you this morning as we close to then walk in the light as he is in the light. To, to walk in the light as your heavenly father and as your savior, the one who has redeemed you, is light. 
This is the very message of 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Such a powerful text that is an appropriate place for us to end here tonight or this morning. 1 John chapter 5, or chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Shining the light, church, always starts with yourself. Always starts with yourself. So what does that practically mean for you today? So we look at these closing verses here from 1 John chapter 1. It means, first of all, you need to be transparent with others. Verse 7 makes clear that walking in the light necessitates community. You cannot walk alone. You cannot walk in the light if you are walking by yourself. Think about that phrase that he says multiple times. If we say that we have no sin, the question is, who would we even be saying that to? Reality is you would have to be saying that to other people, right? Mostly likely understood as other believers. Openness with others is what allows us to have true, meaningful fellowship, biblical community that seeks to help, not shame, one another. That's why our life group ministries are so important. That's why our prayer ministries are so important for you to have a place where these things actually can be done in an effective way. So be real, Christian, and transparent with one another about your spiritual life and your struggles. Yes, that includes you two men. Be transparent. Be willing to share life with each other, remembering that true strength is not found in trying to just buckle up and do things on your own. No, true strength in Scripture is actually weakness. It's weakness, which is seen in our next point where we're called to be humble in spirit. You see, pride, pride is such the enemy here. Because our pride excuses sin. Our pride minimizes sin. And it is our pride that seeks to battle sin alone. But humility, humility is willing to confess sin and willing to ask for prayer and seek out help knowing that you are weak in and of yourself and that you need help. That requires vulnerability. It requires humility. Be quick, church, to see sin in yourself before you are quick to see it in others. And then thirdly, you need to be honest. You need to be honest with God. Seen in our confession of sin to God. Confession is more than just saying what you did. So often in our culture, we think that confession is just saying, uh, I did this. I did X, Y, Z. But no, Confession in Scripture is agreeing with God that what you did fell short of his glory and it deserves uh, the glory that he deserves and we failed to shine his light to the watching world. And then along with it, expressing in a desire and a willingness to forsake such sin for God's greater glory. 
It is confession with an end direction in mind, which is to turn away in repentance and seek out restoration. So be honest with God. He does know it. He knows it already, right? Even when you try to do your deeds in the darkness, he sees it. So be honest. Be real. And when you do so, when you do these things, be prepared to be cleansed from unrighteousness. This is the difference between our initial repentance and our continual repentance. We have to repent initially to, uh, to be saved, to be brought into saving relationship with God. But now the, the Christian life is about continual repentance. Understanding that still our sin in some way, this unrighteousness here, hinders our relationship with God. And if you don't believe me, look at David's confession in Psalm 51 verse 12 where he prays at the end of that, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He understood that some way this, this, this created a wedge, this created a separation in his relationship with God. Positionally, he was still God, but he under, God's, but he understood that this somehow hindered his walk and his ability to walk in the light with the Lord. And so John invites us here, church, to come, to come into the light, to confess your sins to be transparent with others, to be humble, to be honest with God, and to do so, if you do so, you will find the light of Christ shining on you once more. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of light, that you are the one that called us out of darkness into glorious relationship with you. You have transferred us from a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of ignorance and evil and you have now set us lord in the the kingdom of life and now we desire lord to be that life and that light to other people but we need your help as we just we just learn lord it starts with ourselves it's always so easy to point the finger at others but lord let that be us today to look at our lives, to confess our sins, to walk in the light, and to bring sin into the light so that, Lord, we might be a church purified by your word for your glory so that our witness to this watching world would be brighter than it ever has before. So would you please do that work in us? It's a hard request. We understand that that might make things messy for a season. But, Lord, the glory that you are able to use through that be amazing. So please do that work in us today, we would ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We have heard the call from Christ our captain in the word this morning. So would you please stand and let us respond to that call in song and in deed throughout the rest of our week. Arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies and army bold. Battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. Oh, 
As the Son of God is stricken And see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet For the conqueror has risen And as the stone is rolled away And Christ emerges from the grave This victory march continues till the day that the Christian life is a war, isn't it? It is a battle that is daily, hourly, moment by moment, each and every day, trying to fight to ultimately, as that line there reminds us, we're to then light the world and to shine for those who are still living in darkness. It's a high calling church. It is a high calling and it's one that we want to help you with. So again, this morning, as you are listening, as your heart is being stirred, if there are things that you need help with, things that we can better do to help you walk in the light, just know that you have a team of spiritual shepherds here at Newcastle to desire to help you, who want to seek to cause you to walk in the light, not just for our own personal gain, but ultimately for your freedom and your joy in Christ. So we hope that you allow us to do so. We're excited that this morning has a lot of different things for us uh, yet uh, in store. And so we want to just remind you before we leave this morning about the special exit offering. Be a blessing to those churches in southwest Florida who have been devastated by Hurricane Ian. Uh, those uh, boxes are at the front and the back of the room here so that you can put any special offerings in those. You can go online. If you don't have anything today, you can go afterwards and go to the website. Just know this is a huge gift. We've done this before for churches. This is what it means to be the church, is to help brothers and sisters in other areas. And so we're very thankful to be able to do so. So please consider how you might be a blessing to them today. And also, just real quick, while I also have a moment, just a reminder 
that after this service, right over in the other building during the 9.30 hour, we have a newcomer's breakfast. If you're somebody who is relatively new to Newcastle and you're still wanting to learn a little bit more about who we are, our ministries, what we're all about, we would just love to invite you to a breakfast over there. We'll have some light refreshments, some very delicious refreshments at that, and a chance for you to meet some of our staff, hear a little bit more about uh, the church, but it's a chance for us to meet you too and answer any questions that you might have. So please allow us that opportunity. If you didn't sign up, no worries. There'll be plenty of food. Um, be happy to have you. Um, so as we close our time, let's pray our benediction now from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 together. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all those who desire to walk in the light would say, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.